Welcome to the Micah Brown Podcast, where we have the most authentic conversations you've ever heard on a podcast. I get the privilege of talking with amazing people every week in a way that lets us really get to know them as a fellow human being, whether it's a CEO, a military service member, an entrepreneur, a former convict, a teacher, a medical professional, or even a university president. They're all just fellow human beings at the end of the day. So join us as we discuss life, obstacles, successes, and much more. Don't forget to subscribe, share, like, and follow. This show is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, pages on all of those. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn where I post things pretty frequently. The Facebook page is Micah Brown Podcast, while both Instagram and Twitter are at actual MVP. And I'm pretty sure even if you look on Facebook at actual MVP, you'll be able to find the correct page. This podcast exists to promote genuine, authentic conversations, which lead to, spoiler alert, genuine, authentic relationships. Simply put, we need to post more, talk less. The more this message gets out, the more positive change we can affect in the world. There are three main ways to support this movement and effort. Number one, support your own knowledge and entertainment by going to audibletrial.com forward slash MBP and get your free 30-day trial. Number two, go to coffee.com, except it's spelled weird. It's ko-fi.com forward slash MBP, actual MBP to become a direct supporter. Or finally, number three, become a patron through my webpage by going to microbrownpodcast.podbean.com. Or since that's a lot of links and you're probably just listening to this driving in a car or showering or working out or doing something where you can't use your phone right away, you can just go to any of those social media accounts when you get a chance and look at the link tree where you can find all the direct links there. Now, let's get to our conversation for this week. All right, on today's show, we've got three guests, Allison Hankins, Lee Kohler, and Micah Matthews. I appreciate Micah, um, who I've known for years, connecting me with the Freedom Church Alliance, who, which is what we'll be talking about today. It'll be a little bit different than a typical show, um, but I want to get right to it because this one will be a little bit longer. Um, Lee, I appreciate that you'll kind of be the, the front person taking most of the questions, that sort of thing, because you lead this alliance. And I, I think hearing from you um, will give the most depth to the questions. But Allison and Micah, by all means, at any point in time, jump in. Uh, listeners, I just want you to know so you don't think that you know Lee is being a ball hog or something like that. It's not it at all. Um, Lee is just the go-to person. So we want to start with just how is your day going? I know you have things going on. We all just commiserated on everything that's blowing up all around us. So are you making it? Are you surviving or thriving? Which one? Man, I would say thriving. I mean, things are good. Things have gotten a little hectic this week. I have a high school son with a stress fracture who's playing football and then another Oof. son getting wisdom teeth out today. So it's been kind of one of those weeks. But, um, but all in all, I can't complain. 2020 has been crazy. Um, but we're making yes. it and there's a lot to be thankful for, for sure. Well, the good news is if you said a teenage son getting his wisdom teeth out, Yep. well, he'll eat less. So there's a plus. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm hoping he's okay today because, you know, you can't drink anything, even water or eat anything at like eight hours before. So yep. it's later today. So he's, he's just know. drying up because yeah. he has no water in him. <laughs> exactly. Raisin. That's great. 
Man, well, um, I remember when I was a teenager and everything hurt because I was in sports all the time. And then, you know, my mom's like, where did this food go? I just put it groceries back in the pantry yesterday and it's gone. I was like, well, I got bored. She's like, so you just eat because you get bored? And I'm like, well, yeah, that's how this works. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. We kind of laugh that my middle son, who's really going through a growth spurt, he'll be like on the other side of the house. And when he was doing like Zoom school, I would just hear this voice going, you know, mom, you got any food? You know, so I, yeah, I've, it's, it's tough <laughs> keeping those teenage boys fed for sure. We've been on meetings before where Lee will be in her office with the door closed and she'll get a note slipped under the door requesting lunch. <laughs> it's like he's like putting in his uh, favor order or whatever you use i mean yeah. uber eats doordash totally. that's pretty funny totally. i'm like you two could make this grilled cheese you know and they do yeah. sometimes it's not difficult it's pieces of bread <laughs> and cheese yeah make it happen <laughs> i feel like my mom because she's definitely the more sarcastic one if i yelled at my mom mom you got any food she'd probably throw something straight at my head like no question <laughs> asked I mean, I'm, I, I'm just thinking we've got these chopsticks that are basically like organic Slim Jims. And I just imagine one of those just getting whiffed right at my forehead. Yeah. On well, a Zoom call. That'd be great. I'm not going to pretend that they don't get a glare, you know, every now and then. <laughs> the knives from the eyes. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, but it's all good. Well, I'd love to start with just the the general background. I mean, we'll we'll dive into specifics, of course, but uh, would love to share with us who you are, how you got involved in Freedom Church Alliance, and um, obviously, there's three of us. I would I would love to know at least for starters. When we get to the more specific questions, Lee, by all means, you just take the reins. Um, but for now, I'd love to know how all three of you are involved with Freedom Church Alliance and basically who you are, um, and. I just got to say, I don't understand how y'all live in Houston. I, that city <laughs> Where are you? bothers me. I'm in Austin and uh, I've got plenty of friends and my, my sister okay. and her family of five live, live in Houston, they're Richmond technically, but goodness, I, more power to you. It's all flat and it floods yeah. and it rains, but I just, I got to say that as a, as a Texan, if you're, if you're listening to this and you, you don't live in Texas, it probably won't make any sense. But for those that live in Texas, I feel like every city has its own like point of pride and like which city they have beef with anyway. But yeah, Lee, we'll start with you. Uh, and, okay. Go ahead. No, I was just saying now I feel like it's on to have to defend my city, but. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Get your shield out. Let's go. <laughs> um, yeah, no. Okay. So I'm a native Houstonian. So maybe that's why I love it because it's home. And I Makes think sense. that Houston has great people. Now, I think Austin does too. I have four brothers and two of my brothers live in Austin. So I do love Austin. Good, um, good. But yeah, I, I love the people here. We have the best Tex-Mex and restaurants in our city. And we have some really pretty places in our city. Look at him. <laughs> Debatable. No. I, so <laughs> I don't I'm not saying I disagree. I just disagree. It's fine. You know? <laughs> So there's, there's a lot to love about Houston, truly. Um, so really my story is that I, um, I was a high school English teacher. I was an English major in college. And um, so I certainly was not looking to one day be in the nonprofit world. That idea never crossed my mind. I will say um, that ministry was always really important to me. I was super involved in my church, really loved like studying uh, the Bible. In fact, my husband and I teach a 
young singles class at our church that we've taught for many, many years. And so that was always, you know, a passion of mine. Um, but it was in 2011 when it was my mother actually, who was like, Hey, do you want to come see this documentary with me? Oh, oh. And by this time, let me rewind. I'm sorry. So at this time I was staying home because I had three little ones. So I wasn't teaching at this point. My mom, um, one day asked me to go watch this documentary. There was an organization that was doing showings at different churches throughout Houston. So I was like, okay. And that, uh, documentary is called Nefarious Merchant of Souls. And that was when I was first introduced to human trafficking. And um, man, it was like a kick in the gut. I just couldn't believe that slavery was still happening. But I, I had no idea that little children were being sold around the world and even in our backyard for sex. Like I had no idea um, that this evil was happening. And so I would say that that was kind of the starting point. But from there, it was kind of like picking up these breadcrumbs. It wasn't like, you know, I didn't know that I would be where I am now, which is how a lot of life works, right? It's a windy road. Um, but that was kind of the beginning. I Then I ended up going on a van tour with an organization. It sounds kind of weird, I know, but it's really a cool thing. There was this organization that was like, look, there are hot spots where, where this is happening. You need to know what a brothel looks like because we have hundreds of them more brothels than starbucks in our city and here's you know like here are just some different places where it looks now we know it can be the problem can be everywhere and it's in you know nice suburban neighborhoods you know it's not just in these kind of places in in town where you can kind of tell that cd things are happening it's really kind of everywhere but anyway that was also again kind of just a big eye-opener so um, did that, then took some friends. I was like, I got to show some other women that I know that this is happening like right here in our city, in our own backyard. And so we went, I remember afterwards we were debriefing at a free birds and it was like, what in the world do we do? And one of the things that the uh, woman doing the best tour had said is, Hey, this isn't the kind of thing where you just get some friends and go, let's kick down the door of a brothel. Like Ephesians six says that our battle it's not against flesh and blood, but we're, there are spiritual forces at work. And you really see that. Like the deeper you get into the, this whole thing, you go, this thing is dark. But anyway, so we said, all right, well, let's start praying. Like there's power in prayer. We've heard that, you know, all our lives. If we believe it, let's put it to practice. And that led to a prayer gathering where women from all over, sometimes I didn't even know the women that would show up at my door. It would be people who were just finding out about human trafficking, had a passion, wanted to pray about it. Um, we started getting together like every other Tuesday night. And that went on for almost two years. And I would say that during that time, like as a church kid, I knew to pray, but I mean, God started to rock my world. I could go on and on about a lot of the kind of divine coincidences, you know, that started to happen. But eventually that led to me being at a meeting um, that someone at my church sent me to with some other church leaders sitting around kind of dreaming about what it would look like for all the churches in our city to um, come together and rather than try to, you know, slay this giant on our own to come together because we're stronger together and we have a lot of resources as the church in Houston. And so that's kind of, you know, and then I just, my, actually my youngest, then, you know, this is happening over years. And as my youngest is going to kindergarten, that's when there were a few of us that they asked to help start it because they didn't want the Alliance to be run by any one church. It was, um, so they came to Porpoise and said, hey, will you start this thing? And by that time I knew God was like, yep, you will. And so it's like, <laughs> yes, sir. But It's not but, a question. <laughs> it wasn't really a question, 
but I knew and I felt compelled. And um, so I guess seven and a half years later, I'm, I'm still here. Here I am. So that's kind of how I got here. Still going. <laughs> yeah, still going. It's that song, I'm Still Standing. You got yep. it. Yep. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, I definitely, if we can fit in some of those, um, for lack of a better term, divine open doors, you know, just things that you, you just kept on walking forward, things kept happening. Um, we'll definitely get to it. I know we got a lot of questions that I think all of them are important, but uh, we'll see where we can fit that in. Uh, Allison, I'd love to hear kind of your background and how you're involved with uh, FCA. Yeah, yeah, of course. So uh, my name's Allison Hankins, now Sims, because I got married a month ago. Oh, nice. Yes. And um, it's been a very fun month. COVID and 2020 has been very difficult for so many, but I got married and I'm thrilled. So really, uh, changing your Zoom name was not at the top of the list of places yet. <laughs> Jeez, like come that. on. It should be Zoom name, then driver's license, then social yeah, security. <laughs> and her email. She's working on it. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I haven't even started the name change process because Texas makes it incredibly difficult. Um, anyways, so I am not a Houston, Texas native. I'm from Michigan originally, and um, I was born God bless in you. Thank you. I'm a, I'm a fan of the seasons and I can survive in the snow. So I take pride in that. Um, I actually took, I love telling people this. I took driver's ed on ice. So Houston can stop being so afraid of things. Um, I was going to say that's not going to come in handy down here. (laughs) The one day that it does frost over, I'll be the one running the roads and it'll be great. Um, So I am from Michigan, went to school at Grand Valley State University in Michigan, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And um, my senior year, my senior semester, I was getting a degree that was like a hybrid between government administration and nonprofit administration and finance. And so I knew I wanted to work in, I don't know what I wanted. I think I wanted to just work for the good of humanity. And so that's why I got that degree. And I figured the Lord would direct my path afterwards and he did and so my senior semester is in my capstone and um a mutual friend uh asked who knew lee and i connected us knew that i was interested in learning more about human trafficking and um after you know like three or four phone calls and a couple facetimes lee and ended up offering me a position to move across the country across the continent to a place that i had never been before and i was like Houston, Texas, never really thought twice about it. Um, but it was just a wide open yes from the Lord to move down here. And so I actually pulled up in Houston 10 days before Hurricane Harvey happened, which great was timing. Great timing. Wild way to be introduced. <laughs> Welcome. You got to get out. <laughs> yeah. I think her, your first day of work was at Monday, right? And there was like the eclipse. So I remember like during lunch, it's like, let's go in this room and watch the eclipse. And then on Thursday, I was like, no, you just, you need to go buy some water and go to work tomorrow. And, you know, and then but I, this girl was amazing. I mean, she was like mucking houses like the next week. She did not flood, but she's a trooper. So you, you don't meet many people who anyway, just jump right in like she does, but it was cool. She's was awesome. Good. Yeah. It was a good way to be introduced to the city. I was going to say, you go from learning how to drive on ice in the snow to like, welcome to hurricane season. Yeah. Because it's real down here. You can't shovel rain. 
<laughs> I mean, you, you could try. It's not going to do anything, but you can certainly you try. Nowhere. You get nowhere. So that was wild, but the Lord was good. He's faithful. I've been here for three years now. And um, so my introduction to really the issue of trafficking was this job and was really just like diving in head first, uh, knowing that this was um, something that I knew literally nothing about day one, but now being three years in and just um, having relationships with survivors and understanding um, the Lord's heart for justice in a much more intimate way um, was really just showing his faithfulness and knowing that this is the work that I need to have my hands in and um, feeling that conviction so intimately. And, and it's just been such an incredible blessing to work under Lee and be discipled by her. I also met my husband and as someone added bonus, I know, right? Out of bonus, got married. Um, as someone who is not from Texas, but has spent a good amount of time in Austin, has spent some time in Dallas, in San Antonio, a lot of time in Houston. Here it comes. Say it. Say it, girl. <laughs> Just say it. <laughs> okay. Austin is like this, well, politically, it's this little blueberry and like a tomato soup. And it also has incredible food. Houston has incredible I know that that's the rivalry right is like the text the barbecue and the text bags and who has like the more authentic stuff and it's hard because Austin's so weird and so beautiful I will say I prefer Austin because of the climate and the nature and the freshwater lake and the greenery but Houston is where all the people I love are and you got flooded in Austin somehow so yeah, because my house hates me, and it's a saboteur, and that's what it is. So it's hard. It's a toss-up. They are fantastic. Right? I don't know how to pick a side here. It's fair. All right, Micah, you got to tell us which city is your fa- I'm just kidding. Uh, give us your background, how you got involved with uh, FCA, and whatever else you'd like to share, you know, like which city you actually prefer. It's fine. You can say awesome. <laughs> Uh, so I'm Micah Matthews, not to be confused with uh, our host, Micah Brown. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, this started actually very similarly to Lee's story. Uh, I actually went on a van tour with Elijah Rising and was just incredibly shocked at everything that was around me. I mean, it, it was within five minutes of my house, I could point out eight, nine, 10 different brothels and, and places where, you know, people are being trafficked and, you know, they're selling sex and things like that. And it just, it blew my mind. Like I had no idea that it existed within the city. And not only that, but just at the scale of, of what it was. And so um, for a while, it started with me and several friends, we would go and uh, just about every weekend, um, park outside a random brothel and just spend the time praying and, uh, you know, praying that God would move and shut these places down and turn the people's lives around who are buying the Johns and then also setting those women free um, that are, are stuck in that situation. And a big part of that heart is um, I had some people very close to me deal with sexual assault and just being able to see the impact of one time in their life that happening. I was, I couldn't fathom someone that I love or care about being stuck in that situation. And for me, I was like, well, someone loves and cares about these people. God loves and cares about these people. So 
I can't just sit back and do nothing. Um, so it started with prayer. I eventually volunteered with Elijah Rising for a while um, and uh, took a short break in between, was working a lot um, after a few years. And then I honestly don't even know how long ago at this point, I brought up talking to Lee. Um, so fun fact, I actually knew Lee's younger brother in high school, uh, Todd, and he, we had some mutual friends and hung out periodically. And then whenever I started going to First Baptist, I was in Lee and Mark's uh, Sunday school class. So met them, loved them. They're great, um, have been, you know, or used to be a lot more involved in that class before moving on. But um, a while back, just still had it on my heart to get back involved. And I, I had the time and the availability, but I, I didn't necessarily um, want to do the same thing I was doing, but didn't really even know what I was supposed to do. I just knew I needed to get involved somehow. And so um, had some conversations with Lee over some time and eventually it came to a point where I came up to our church and I was like, all right, I don't know what you need, but like I can do whatever. And somehow the conversation even ended up on training and documentation. And so uh, we have the GoBox classes, which uh, are now rebranded to the church in human trafficking. And so right now they're local to Houston, but eventually we want to make them available to more and more churches. And um, so I'm kind of helping with that process, but as someone with an IT background, but also I am someone who has just like done all these random passion projects from working as a DJ to mascotting to um, mining cryptocurrency to, you know, writing documentation and doing video editing and marketing for some companies. Uh, yes. Yeah. To mine cryptocurrency. That's a whole nother podcast. Uh, we don't have time for that here, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that another day. Um, so, <clears throat> but it was one of those things where it always came back to like, I want to do something that has value. Um, and so that's something that's just always been on my heart um, and, and just having to do something with that. And so um, got involved and it's, it's kind of morphed into, I have all these random things that I can help with and really whatever they can throw at me and I can take off their plate, I'm happy to help with. So um, that's, you know, how I started getting involved. That's cool. I, I feel like I, I should do a, a random just one off with you interview and be like, let's just go through all the weird things you've done that just off the wall, you know, we'll just yeah. do one at a time. <laughs> I have great stories for sure. Turns into a cryptocurrency like tutorial. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's a, it's an interesting process. I've read about it, but I, I don't know the in-depth knowledge and firsthand experience. Well, I'd love to know, this is a question that I, I thought about leaving this question out just so we're clear. Cause we're talking about an organization, not just a person. And, um, and then I was like, no, this is, I feel like this is like the core question of all of my episodes. So I want to throw it in. I would love at least one example um, and probably keep it to one example since there's three of y'all, but what obstacles or events in your life have most shaped your character or who you are as a person and how? So you give the example and then how it affected your character. And we could just do the same order if that's cool with you guys. Sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, so I'll go. So 
Okay, rather than, I know, I, I know this is probably frustrating as an interviewer that I'm going to maybe make the question a little broader. Is that okay? That I, it's I up just, to you. I had I mean, a hard time choosing like the one thing. Do you know what I'm saying? And I, I started. I, mean, I have three. So like when I was first ever asked this question, I was like, I got three right off the bat. And one was like my parents collectively. Yeah. You know, that's okay. Okay. Yeah. They are not obstacles or, well, they can be obstacles sometimes, but you know, they're, they're not obstacles or events. They're people in my life and they most shape my character. So, you know, you could say that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just, okay. When you said obstacles, I was thinking, I guess a little bit um, generally about probably what has been one of the biggest obstacles um, as far as the work that I'm doing now. Right. And even maybe, the leadership role that God called me to and all of this. And I would say that I, I think my, my mindset, you know, it's interesting how the Bible talks about like renewing the mind because we can get like these patterns of thought, what, patterns of thoughts that we don't even realize, but we're kind of like, we believe this story about ourselves or, you know, we just kind of always have these same thoughts that can actually kind of hold us back. Does that make sense? And so I would say that based on probably, I don't you know, several maybe things, even little things that people might hear and go, what, that's not that big of an obstacle, Lee. But just probably because of certain kind of patterns or things that were said or happened, I just, I grew up kind of not feeling really capable of a lot. And I had a lot of fear and certainly never felt like I could be, I don't know that I would be a leader in an organization. I'm kind of the person that's like, don't make me the PTA mom. Like, tell me to bring cookies. I'll bring cookies, but don't put me in charge. Cause I'll probably, that's just not me. That's not, you know? And so I would say that part of my, even like in my walk with God, it's cool how, as you develop a relationship with God and you read the word and you pray and you just read different things. It's like, God starts to talk to you about things and work on things and get to things in your heart. Cause he knows where he's taking you and the plan that he has for you. Right. And so one of those things was kind of being able to see myself the way he saw me and um, overcome fear and overcome maybe these little lies in my head that I believed about what I would never be capable of doing. And, you know, just these kind of maybe negative thought patterns. Um, and so can I just tell you this one verse, though, that has shaped so much? It's probably like maybe it's hard for me to pick my favorite scripture, but this is one of my favorite Psalms because this marked me so much. And this is your story so, and your answer. So you can throw in whatever you want. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks. Well, this is from Psalm 18. And I just remember one time um, that I was going to go do something that I didn't really want to do. It was out of my comfort zone. And I kind of was like, I'm going to do it. And um, I thought I'm going to do this thing. And I just remember like having this verse in my head the whole time. And it was kind of like this. Okay, so let me just read it before I go on. But it says, you, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. And, um, and so that verse, with your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. It's been huge for me because... This is just a dark world. This I've definitely been talking about things in places that um, that I just never thought I would be in. And so I would just say that some of those obstacles of fear or just not thinking that I would be capable of it, um, kind of having, you know, those words and God kind of work on that and, and show me that in him, really, we can do anything. It's just, it's really more about his power. He just needs somebody willing and a vessel that'll say, you know, okay, here I am. I don't feel like I have a lot to offer, but 
you know, he just needs the open hands. That's all. That's all he needs. Yeah. In fact, I think a lot of the little boy, that was one of the things one time and, and spending time with God, I was reading that story about the little boy with the loaves and the fish. And it's like, remember the disciples and Jesus are on the hill. There's thousands of people to feed. And Jesus is like, what do y'all, what do you have? And they're like, well, we don't have much, but here's this little kid with the lunch, you know, some bread, some fish. And no way would that feed everybody, right? And so it was like, just take that posture, Lee, of being like, you know, this is what I have. Just give the Lord what's in your hand. And Jesus took that meal and there were leftovers, you know, there were leftovers. So I think that's just been a big obstacle, getting over myself in the sense of it's really not about me. It's about what can God do and what will God do if we're just willing to say yes. But anyway, certainly in that, there's just had to be some renewing of, of my mind and, and pressing through some fear, pressing through insecurities, things like that. Yeah. I, I can actually relate to some of that story, uh, especially the, the insecurities in the past. Um, Micah knows this, uh, especially if he's listened to my story episode, which I think he did. Um, I was bullied quite a bit and you know, you could, there's a spectrum of bullying. Like if you've been picked on and like called names, and then there's the spectrum of like physical bullying and I've, I've experienced the whole spectrum. Uh, and so those external voices of people telling me like, here's why you suck as a human being. Here's why you're terrible. And here's why you'll never amount to everything, anything. Um, those became internal voices. Mm-hmm. And I, my audience won't know this. I've actually been working on a book for years and I've, you know, paused, worked on a pause, worked on it. And um, I wrote a chapter about how my wife in particular has, changed that narrative in my head. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about building the confidence and that sort of thing. We do this thing, you know, today I love you because today my compliment for you is, and over time, those words have been, been stuck into my brain and ingrained in who my, who I see my identity as, uh, as a human being. So, um, I can relate with trying to rewrite that narrative and how you talk to yourself and how you think about yourself. And the rule of thumb is, I wouldn't, even Micah, somebody who I'm very close with, and we definitely push each other's buttons on purpose sometimes, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't cr- critique him the way that I've critiqued myself. Sure. Like yeah. I wouldn't be that hard on him or anybody really for that matter, as much as I've been on myself. And so I have to keep that frame in mind. Um, but we'll jump to Allison real quick. What's your obstacle event or generality of how is, you, your character has shaped over time? I want to say, I think it's unfair that I got placed after Lee. Cause it's just following after the whole time. That's negative self-talk. You got a great story. I want to hear it. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. I think um, a lot of what has shaped my character is uh, this lesson of obedience. I was um, an, inc- I am a naturally very rebellious person when, when boundaries and rules are pushed on me, I want to push up against them to kind of test them. And, and, um, when I was a kid and wasn't following the Lord actively, I just was as rebellious as you could ever imagine a 17 year old girl being and just not walking with the Lord, choosing everything but him and to fill my life with. Um, and simultaneously I'm being loved by these faithful parents who love the Lord and are doing their best to stick by me and encourage me. Um, and I got to a point in my life where I saw I had some serious consequences to answer for because of my rebellious uh, character and choices. And I saw the result of those, of that lifestyle. And I saw the result of my choices and my rebellion. 
And the Lord, of course, was so faithful to meet me in that and just let me surrender to him. And he renewed my heart, gave me a new life, set me on a new path. And now it's been this lesson of um, understanding the fruit of obedience and understanding and now being able to see the fruit of saying yes to what the Lord says yes to and no to what the Lord says no to. Not that I'm a perfect angel by any means of the imagination at this point, but I have seen the fruit of rebellion. I have seen the fruit of obedience. And, um, and my parents have a lot to do with their faithful, unconditional love to me in the times of rebellion and the, their faithful love to me in the times of flourishing. And so that has been... Um, I guess all of my 26 years on this planet, that has uh, been a, a massive narrative that has shaped my character and who I am as a follower of the Lord. And, and that's just been a big part of my story and being a part of this Alliance as part of that obedience to the Lord and um, dating wisely and how I use my money and how I uh, serve with my time and um, has been use my voice has all been a part of uh, my learning to, obey the Lord and coming to love his word too has been a difficult thing for me. I haven't in my whole life loved his scriptures and, but learning um, that they produce the fruit of obedience has been really sweet lesson to learn that I am still learning and I have come to love his word a lot more. So that's um, yeah, that's how a lot of my character has been shaped. Awesome. I love that. All right, Micah, for you, obstacles, events, parents, you know, whatever it might be, how has it shaped your character? Yeah, the short answer is that my parents have been the biggest um, shaping uh, or have contributed to the shaping of my character in the biggest way. Um, Both of my parents have very different backgrounds. Um, My dad actually was in and out of jail drug dealer, like crazy, got pray, like saved in a prison ministry, um, and just had this really rough background. And so learning from him and the way that like he treated me well and always was looking out for my good and, um, always praying for me, you know, and my mom who, um, was more of the popular, had it all head cheerleader. And then, it wasn't enough. And she ended up getting saved at a Billy Graham crusade. They actually met at first Baptist, which is the church I go to now. Um, and not to get too off track. Um, but, uh, they actually never dated before they got married. So that's, uh, an interesting fact. Uh, they just, they just like uh, looked at each other. Like, yeah, you look like you'll, you'll do. <laughs> yeah. They felt like God was telling them that was it. Um, but I think that really does capture a lot of who they are and how obedient they are to the Lord. And it doesn't matter what it is. Um, and so seeing those examples growing up of them giving generously when they didn't have much to give at all um, and loving other people unconditionally and loving me unconditionally uh, really was my biggest benefit in life for sure. And there was definitely times we didn't have a lot of money growing up and life was really hard. Um, but as far as really events that shaped my life, um, my junior, senior year of high school, just kind of a lot of things were falling apart at the same time. 
Um, my sister passed away from cancer. We were dealing with um, CPS issues and uh, my dad had pinched nerves in his back. So he was out of work. I was working full time, um, 40 plus hours a week, uh, helping pay for bills and things like that. And uh, I actually did a bone marrow transplant for my sister at the time. So uh, I was probably the only year of my life that I wasn't playing sports. Uh, so I didn't have that outlet and it was, uh, just kind of a crazy time. Even at my church, there was a lot of issues where, um, there was some fraud, uh, that came up. And so my dad was one of those people that was part of the group that called that out. Uh, and we basically got kicked out of our church. And so it was, all right, mom's living in the hospital with my sister, dad's in bed, her church isn't there for me. Like, what do I have? You know, I didn't have sports as an outlet. And so um, it was just like a really rough time. I was also working full time. So it was like school work, school work every day. And uh, it was just something that I really had to make the choice of, am I going to spend time with the Lord and trust him in this, even though like it feels like everything's falling apart and I don't know what's going on. Um, and so that was definitely something that forced me to, Grew up a little faster than I wanted to, but ultimately was the biggest thing that shaped my life and spiritual life and my relationship with the Lord and um, just being able to trust him, but not just trust him, being able, he was gracious enough to allow me to see a lot of the good things that he was doing in the midst of all of that. And so um, definitely a crazy time in my life. Um, but uh, overall, looking back, there's, there's a lot of good that I can see in the midst of that. So I think one of the contextual pieces to all of that that people may not know, because I think you said this before we started recording, is that you had how many sisters growing up? Uh, I have six sisters and one brother. So, so a small family. Uh, and you, the fact that you know, you're speaking so highly of your parents, um, I wanted to bring that up because sometimes the thought is, okay, in a larger family, like I'm going to get lost in the behind everybody else, or like I got to do something to earn more love and that sort of thing. But it, it sounds like your parents through their different backgrounds and everything, they still came through and just loved on their kids tremendously. Um, and then even the point about essentially your, all your support structures and your outlets are just gone. Uh, I've been there, so I know exactly what that feels like. Uh, you feel like you're floating in the ocean and like you're tired because you have no life raft. Um, but I'm glad to see you're still standing also. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that side of your story. I like asking that question, especially when I have friends on the podcast, people who I've known for years like you, Micah, um, since what, freshman year of college? That would have been yeah. 2007, 2008, somewhere in there. Um, but yeah, so it's way too long. Um, but, you know, when I've known people for that long, I like to know that side of their story because you don't usually ask that, you know, you like, you just pick up like, Oh yeah, we, we met each other and now begins uh, our friendship and you don't ever look backwards and see how people developed. Well, let's, let's dive into more of the questions about FCA. Uh, for those that are listening, if this is the first episode you've ever listened to the Mike around podcast, the reason we just went through those personal questions is because I want to make sure that the people you're listening to are relatable. Um, they're, they may think they're above average. I just think y'all are normal human beings doing incredible things. So if anybody thinks that, okay, y'all are talking about ending human trafficking, talk about a huge hill to climb, you know, um, that's a big monster to bring down. But I want the listeners to understand y'all are people just like them, just like me, 
we're all just normal people and we're trying to tackle things that we feel called to. And I've had people on here who are Christians. I've had people on here who are not Christians, but either way, there's something outside of themselves that they want to accomplish, that they want to achieve um, typically to make the world a better place. So for those of you listening, if this is the first time you've listened to this, um, maybe one of these three or somebody from FCA uh, said, hey, you should listen to this episode. Just know that we want to make sure you know that these are human beings we're talking to. This isn't um, some spectacular, like you were born and you shine gold. Like, I mean, it's not something crazy. Like you're just normal humans. And I don't say that in a derogatory way. I say that in a relatable way um, that we're just, we're here trying to do what we feel like we're set out to do. So with that in mind, let's jump to stuff about FCA, uh, Freedom Church Alliance, not Fellowship of Christian Athletes. That's why my brain keeps getting tripped up. Uh, earlier I said Fellowship of Church Free, and we had to cut that out so you won't even hear that part. But anyway, so first question, how would you explain FCA to someone who has never heard of it? Hey, well, I'll, I'll jump in here. Um, so Freedom Church Alliance. So in, in fact, it's funny you say that because I love Fellowship of Christian Athletes. So when we abbreviate, we always just, we say the Alliance so that we don't use FCA much for that. Very okay. I'm going to edit my questions right now as you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Just, you can just say the Alliance. Um, so if we were to explain the Freedom Church Alliance, we'd say we're, we're an alliance of churches who have united to fight human trafficking. So that's kind of simply who we are. Um, and we came together for two main reasons. One, we believe that God has always used his church to be an instrument to bring his redemption to the world. So I remember a pastor said it this way, like when you look at the wake of the church, you see orphanages, you see hospitals, you see schools. And yes, you know, I know there's people listening and there's you know, Christians aren't perfect and there've certainly been people who've done terrible things in the name of God, but when you look at um, the true church and what it's about, and it's not because we're just this, you know, these great people, it's because it's who Jesus is. And when he becomes a part of your life, you're compelled by his love. It's the story of the, of the Good Samaritan, right? And in fact, there's a story in the Bible where the man came to Jesus and said, you know, what, are, what is the greatest commandment? Like, what's the most important thing of, of all? And Jesus says this to him. He says, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And that kind of sums up like everything the Bible says kind of fits under those two things, right? Like love the Lord with everything that you have. Because when you do that, when you love someone, you're, you're going to want to follow them. You're going to want to be devoted and then love other people because that's who Jesus is. And so, um, so, and so really, so all of that to say, that's kind of our, the first kind of vision statement that we had is we want to be able to be a light and the church needs to rise up and be in, involved in this because also we serve the God of justice. If that's who he is, then as his people, that's who we want to be. And, um, you know, if you've heard the term Imago Dei, you know, that's a term that uh, refers to the image of God. And so we believe as Christians that all people are made in the image of God because that's what scripture teaches. That's what God teaches. And so because of that, all people have intrinsic worth. All people have dignity. All people should be treated with value and respect. Um, and then secondly, and I know I'm kind of 
probably taken a little bit longer than, than you would want. I'm just elaborating. Well, and and I feel like you're also answering some of the next question, which I'll just say it is what the Alliance is, how it started, what the goal and purpose of the organization is. So you're kind of already answering that question anyway. So keep going. Okay, great. Well, I guess, yeah. Lee talks in paragraphs. (laughs) I know. Sorry. I will try to land the plane and not go on, but I, I try to like to give background, you know, rather than just give you the answer, give you a little bit more to it. It's because you were a teacher. I I'm, I'm reading, I know your language because I was a middle school teacher for five years. I taught English and history. So a good story is a good story. You got to keep going. Go for it. I know my poor kids. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to keep this short. I'm just going to keep this short because they'll kind of go like, short means 10 minutes. I got it. I understand. (laughs) I'm the same way. When I tell my wife, I'm like, yeah, let me just so what this is like and she goes oh god another example you know <laughs> you can't help it you just i don't know there's a passion in you to want people to know what you know or or what yep. you've learned so um so anyway so and then so secondly we just i and i'm gonna laugh allison may smile as i say this but i love the old swedish proverb that says many streams make a mighty river and that's the idea behind the alliance is with hundreds and hundreds of churches like let's the whole goal was let's work together. Let's give together. All of the churches give something yearly into the Alliance. And so then we're able to give back out. We vet organizations and ministries doing the work of anti-trafficking. So we look at who's doing awareness and prevention, who's doing, you know, rescue, who's doing aftercare. And then we're able to put those resources behind trusted partners and organizations. So we said, let's not reinvent the wheel. You know, a church doesn't need to go, oh, well, I'll start a safe house. Let's see what's already being done in our city. Let's look at the great work that's being done. And as the church, let's get behind that work. Let's strengthen and support that work. Let's say to our city, is the church, we want to serve our city. What do you need from us? And um, I mean, later we'll probably talk about examples. That's, you know, those, those kind of questions have led to some really cool opportunities. But that's why we really came about. We were like, the problem of human trafficking is so complex. It is, it's a system. It's an evil system that needs to be replaced by another system. So we were like, you know, let's come together, stand shoulder to shoulder as the church in Houston and be a voice and give and mobilize churches. So that's, you know, a big part of what we're doing is going in and, you know, giving, doing education. And it's awesome when you see pastors and missions pastors who have a passion and from the pulpit, they're talking about these issues. And, and you find out that when people hear about it, people are moved, but they just kind of want to know, well, okay, you, you just told me this, but what do I, you know, what do I do about it? And so that's a lot mm-hmm. of what we've worked to create are these on-ramps and ways that people, um, can engage so sure because people i mean american notoriously gets hyped about something for a short stint of time and then there's like no action behind it it's all words i mean we're seeing that play out on social media a lot right um which is again a whole different episode that we could do um which i feel like micah and i would love having conversations about that because we both like playing devil's advocate so we could support it aside that we don't actually believe in and we're totally fine with it but anyway um what you're saying is you're to summarize you're giving now actionable steps to the people that have that passion, to the people that say what I'm hearing about and what I'm seeing, you know, Micah talking about this is five minutes from my house. What the heck? When you're seeing it, now you're saying, here are the actionable things you can do. And it sounds like, and there is a question in a little bit, so I don't want to give it away yet, but it sounds like you're more working in tandem with organizations who already exist rather than necessarily kind of like doing a new thing. Um, It's more what is in place so that we can be kind of a a hub 
to then go and, and put people, you know, wherever they, they need to be kind of thing. Is that, do I understand that correctly? Yes, you do. Cool. All right. Well, I, this, this is a question that Micah typed out and I, I like froze because I was like, that, why did I think it? this is amazing? Um, two are better than one. So here we go. With everything going on with Jeffrey Epstein, and I don't even know how to say her name, Maxwell, Ghislaine? Ghislaine? Mm-hmm. Uh, Micah? Uh, I've heard it multiple I- ways. We know what you're talking about. We know, yeah, I'm afraid. G. Maxwell, got it. Okay. Um, yeah. How, with everything going on with that, how does that affect awareness and people's knowledge or perception of the issue? What have y'all seen? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it has brought a lot more awareness on a national scale because there, I think that even though more and more people over, I would say the last 10 years are finding out about the reality of human trafficking, when something like that happens in the news at a national scale, it's kind of like, what? And then all of a sudden, you know, people that didn't know what human trafficking was and didn't know things like this were happening, all of a sudden have their eyes open. So I think that we're having, we're seeing more and more conversations about human trafficking happen. Um, I think there's, there's outrage. And I think that it also speaks to, you know, even what we saw coming out of the Me Too movement that you see that a lot of times when there is that kind of like power and that kind of money, you know, there's people that feel invincible, men that feel invincible. And like somehow that's, you know, that's part of, you know, you can just use people, you can just use women for your sexual pleasure. And unfortunately, you know, that, that happens um, every day. And so I'm, thankful that we're seeing more of a conversation about it for sure. I will say just popping in one unique thing that I've seen and that I've really appreciated just through the conversations that I've seen pop up is that it's something that goes beyond political party lines, which no matter what the major issues always seems to come up in some way, shape or form. But the reality is that, People on both sides agree, you know, that sexual assault, rape, human trafficking, sex trafficking, all of these things are just so wrong and evil and that it's it's something that does bring some unification in the midst of all of the crazy conversations and media topics and things like that. So, yeah, and I don't, I think it's worth noting too that any time that there is, um, a national conversation, there is so much room for false information to be spread to. So it's really a vital moment to have people who are the actual pros and who have done the research and who have walked the streets and who are survivors of trafficking to elevate those voices above um, the fear-mongering or the um, QAnon lies or the uh, just, it's just there's rampant space for misinformation. So it's a really important time for the trusted voices to be elevated so that there can be kind of a clear, like, you know, clear explanation and education on what trafficking actually is versus what media can turn it into. That's, that's a good point because there's definitely, I mean, when you have an open forum like social media, there is, um, there's a lot, that gets thrown out there. And I feel like whether it's a conscious decision or subconscious, I I mean, 
that's up to everybody to decide. But uh, I feel like there's this feeling of if I post about it, then it's doing something. If I make my, my voice heard and I make a status about it, I'm good. I earned some go to heaven points and I'm, I'm set. Uh, but unfortunately, it doesn't do much other than just bring awareness to it. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that like any action is going to take place. So back to what Lee was saying, you know, we're giving actionable steps to people of here's how you can get plugged in. Okay. So maybe here's, here's the train uh, that I see the, the connecting the dots. People see a news article like Jeffrey Epstein is finally caught. Here's all the things he was involved in. Here's what Ms. Maxwell was doing, all that. Then people get outraged and they post about it on social media. They talk to their friends about it. The hope is that the next step is then what now? Is there a way that me, just one person in Austin, Texas, that I'm not really famous or anything, I don't really have a lot of leeway to like push on stuff, what can I do? And that's where your organization comes in. We come to you, we say, I'm, I got two hands and I'm ready. Let's do this. What can I do? You then put us wherever our capabilities allow us or you just, I mean, I don't want to give this way either, but there's something in particular that y'all have put together uh, for y'all to um, be able to say, Hey, come to this class, do this thing. And it'll get you off on the right track of knowing exactly what you can be doing right now. Yep. Love that. So um, that kind of answered the next question of clearing up misinformation is, is essentially Allison, what you just said, let the professionals do what they do. Um, let that information come out. And that's not to say that people can't be talking about it. That's not to say that like, let's share what's going on so that we're all aware. Cause if you don't know there's a problem, you won't think to fix it. That's just fundamental human nature. It's like, if you don't care about it, then you don't care about it. Right. Mm-hmm. And the first step to caring about it is hearing about it. So I, I would love to know uh, what, and this is definitely a Lee question and you know, Micah and Allison, if you want to chime in fantastic, what makes the Alliance different or unique from other anti-trafficking organizations like Polaris, IJM, CAST, which I had to figure this one out coalition to abolish slavery and trafficking and do you work in tandem with these organizations or is it separate or is it kind of like a mix of both it sounds like it's kind of in tandem but i would love to know what that dynamic looks like yeah so we say that the members of the alliance are the member churches that make up the alliance but then in that we work with partners and so we have different levels of partnership and so um yeah that comes back to the whole not wanting to reinvent the wheel but strengthen the work that they're being done so whereas you have different organizations that are focused maybe on um prevention and so they're going into schools you know having like it's great when an organization can really put all of their energy into staying in their lane and being able to like, you know, because again, because human trafficking is so complex and there's a lot of different kinds of work. Like there's so many ways to, to fight against it. Right. And so, because not only do you want to do prevention and there's intervention, but then you need to care for those, you know, that are coming out of it where there's so much brokenness and devastation. So you just have this, you know, this, um, this wide spectrum, of need. And so I'd say what's great about the organizations you just mentioned that are super impactful and important organizations is yes, they are, they are laser focused on the area that they feel called to, whether that is, you know, demand, whether that's aftercare. 
And so what we are wanting to do is come in and kind of look at the look at the landscape and look at that full spectrum and then go, yeah, how can we now give to these different organizations? How can we because within our churches, right, or within our communities, different people are going to have different passions for different things. Some people are going to want to mentor someone who is coming out of trafficking or, or maybe drive them to appointments. Other people may want to mentor a young, you know, a young woman who is in a super vulnerable position and she just needs some stability and relationship in her life so that she's not more susceptible and vulnerable to trafficking later on. Other people, you know, can bake the most amazing casserole, you know, you've ever had and they want to cook and they want to bake. I mean, I remember this um, older Sunday school class of grandmothers, these sweet women that like we're knitting, you know, for survivors, different things that they needed. So that's kind of what we're doing. And then you also have people that maybe they can't volunteer their time to service, or I mean, you know, they're not going to volunteer, but they want to use their skill set. Maybe they're a counselor, a doctor, and they a lawyer, and they want to offer some pro bono services and go, how can I use what I do to help survivors that are out there? And so, yeah, so we're just trying to kind of create those on-ramps to support the various ministries. Perfect. That's good to know because at the end of this, we'll definitely be, um, you know, have a call to action for the audience of saying, okay, you've heard it. So what are you going to do about it? You're just going to post to Facebook again. That's great, but don't let it stop there. Um, so I, I definitely appreciate you mentioning that. I, I just realized this isn't even a question, but could you just give us like Lee as much, you know, you could speak in paragraph form. That's fine. Um, (laughs) but just what is your, how would you explain human trafficking specifically from what you've seen? Because I want people to understand very tangibly what that looks like. Because mm-hmm. people may have all sorts of ideas. So I, I want to simplify the understanding of what you specifically, Lee, are talking about when you mention there's brothels here in Houston. What does that look like? And and I've I've prefaced this is not a show for for kids necessarily, um, and this is for parents and adults. So I would love to hear what exactly are we talking about here? Because human trafficking can can sound kind of like a um, like the issues at arm's length. It's not something I have to deal with, and it's kind of like saying yeah, those people kind of thing. It's a, you're distancing from it. So when we we say human trafficking, but give us a practical tangible, visceral feel for what that actually looks like. What are you talking about when you say that? Okay. Well, I'm going to give, I want to start by giving you a picture because this is kind of what comes to mind more over time, over the years. I just get this picture in my head because trafficking looks differently in different parts of the world. And, um, but there are some common denominators for sure. And to me, I get the picture of like a spider building a web you know, like, have you ever, I feel like we're kind of coming out of that season where you're sitting in your backyard and you have these huge, intricate webs and you're like, these guys are smart. Like these spiders are like, they have been taking their time. This thing is almost beautiful. You kind of hate to, you know, have your kid go destroy it, but you know, you do because they're spiders, but that spider has been like patiently and intricately designing this web and their goal is to catch their prey And, you know, and do the thing that they do. I'm not a spider expert, but, you know, you see them and they're all rolled up. They've got their prey in there. And there are more and more times when I just shake my head just like so mad thinking that's so much what 
trafficking is like. It's like you have these people, traffickers, who are masterminds, and they are looking to lure and deceive and destroy like vulnerable people. And so when you think about how cruel that is, okay, and so here's an example of how that might look. So, um, so let's say in Nepal, okay, where you have villages up in the Himalayas, you have such, you know, you have some extreme poverty. And they say that there are villages in the Himalayas where there are almost no more women and children because traffickers will go into those villages and, and, and exploit the fact that they're so poor and say, well, let us take your daughter, you know, uh, we, will, we will give her a good job. She'll be able to get an education and we'll take your wife and she can work, you know, as a maid in a house. And, and that's how they will get them away. And there are a lot of organizations now doing great work in Nepal and our family personally is kind of getting involved in, in that direction. And there's an organization that we've been, um, you know, supporting and talking a lot too. And the way that that organization was founded is the founder was just hiking in the Himalayas. It was like on his bucket list to go do. He was just with some buddies and they were, had stopped at a place to, to eat and they saw some men there with some young children and they got in this casual conversation. So they thought, and these men brazenly told them when they, when, you know, this, this man, you know, asked them what they were doing. They brazenly told them, well, we're taking these children to sell them to brothels. Like they, like they said that this guy who's from Austin actually went home, moved his whole family to Nepal, like left everything to go start this organization. Now that's in Nepal, that's bringing education and a lot of things, but I'm just saying it looks like that all over the world. There are parts, that's why that documentary, I would recommend people going to watch um, for any listeners interested you can, I, it was on YouTube, but you could just Google Nefarious Merchant of Souls, and it does a great job of explaining the complexity of trafficking all over the world. I mean, you have places where pedophiles go from all over the world to go buy children, right? Um, and Cambodia and other places. And so, you know, there's, I remember hearing the story of a woman who said that there are families where um, when the family has a daughter, they will say, oh, well, congratulations, because now if your family falls on hard times, you always have a daughter that you can sell. So we're also talking about, yes, most people are appalled, but there are different cultures and different mindsets where to some people, you know, it's kind of like, oh, well, that's that daughter's duty to provide for her family, you know, in that way. Yeah, that's a big hill to climb when you need to get in to be able to you know, change mindsets. And then, you know, here as well, we have people, women that are, um, you know, brought in, smuggled in from the border, tra um, trafficked here. Many times they're, you know, they're told they're going to, they might be working at a cantina. They might be thinking they're coming here for a job. Um, other women from Asia, we have a lot of Asian brothels in Houston. They come here thinking they're going to, you know, um, kind of excited about a future and um, opportunities and then their paperwork is taken away and they don't speak the language and they're said, okay, now you're going to sell yourself for sex and you're going to pay off this debt. But like they can never get out of that debt. And they, you know, and then traffickers are like constantly moving around these disoriented women who don't speak the language, who don't know who they can trust from city to city to city to city. And then now a lot of the things that we're talking about are there have been like more and more young girls like coming from, you know, families, high schools, that's happened. I have a couple of friends and that's, you know, I think of one, um, one father who now he's working a lot on legislation, but, you know, great family, uh, you know, just his daughter was groomed by friends. And now because of social media, 
literally, I mean, law enforcement will say there are traffickers online, like all day, like eight to five, um, you know, just kind of like throwing the bait out there, right? Just like looking for girls who, um, you know, typically there, there's a whole grooming process and they say there's like six steps to grooming. So for traffickers, it's kind of like, we'll find out, you know, they're looking for someone who maybe things are, they don't feel like they have anyone else. They want to step in and be like, oh, your parents are terrible. They're not there for you. Oh, your friends, you're going through all this drama. You know, well, I care about you, you know, and then they start buying them things and then they continue to put a wedge between, oh, your parents are jerks, you know, and then they're introducing, um, you know, alcohol and drugs and all these other kinds of things. So anyway, the process goes on, but that's a little bit about it. I was still muted. That gave me the chills uh, hearing, you know, how that even occurs with you know, driving that wedge of like, your parents don't even care. Like, oh, that, that stinks. You know, I hate when my parents really weren't paying attention to me and it can be a really snaky way. Yeah, it's, it's sneaky way to get in with kids and having two daughters myself. I'm, you know, I, I, having taught middle school and hearing the things that even like sixth graders talk about, it's like, how do you already know all these things? And my wife was a middle school teacher also. So we're under no illusions that like, that there's, you know, wait till they're in high school to talk about stuff. You're way too late if you wait till high school. Um, I'm, I'm literally thinking like when my daughter is six, I'm going to, hit her with the blunt truth and, and be like, this is, this is something that literally for your safety, I need you to hear me talk about. Yeah. Um, and it maybe even, I mean, I may start talking to her about it lately, but we've, I've told her before, <laughs> this may make y'all laugh. Um, I've told her before, I'm like, if somebody tries to touch you or grab you in any way that you don't approve of, and it's not mommy or daddy or like family, like Mimi, you know, my mom, <laughs> if it's not one of us, you hit them and kick them and scream as loud as you can. And I, I don't care if you pick up a rock, whatever it is, you attack them as hard as you can. Do you understand me? And at first she's like, daddy, you know, like being all nervous. But I said, we're, we're about to go out in the backyard and practice this. Like you're going to just hit me as hard as you can. We're going to figure this out because I don't want my daughter getting taken. And I'm yeah. not about that life. My sister growing up, she almost got picked up from a van. She was just riding her bike on the street in Austin. And, uh, the van pulled up next to her. My mom happened to be outside right at that moment, started screaming at them. And, uh, and that was a traumatic experience for my sister. Oh man, I can't imagine. Well, and I have a 12 year old daughter, so I'm kind of in the midst of, you know, she's in that preteen age and, you know, more, yep. you know, they're starting to like boys now and have phones. And so, you know, I'm, we're kind of walking through that now. I'll tell you, I heard a woman say something that I thought was so great. She said, there's two words that you need to teach your daughters that could help save their life. You know, she kind of kept her audience, you know, in suspense. Like, what do you think those two words are? You know, you want to take a guess, Micah? What do you think those two words are? No is one of them. <laughs> well, I don't you would know what the second is. Well, this is really interesting. What she was saying is teach your daughters that when someone, you know, a stranger, someone comes up to you in the mall, someone comes and tells you that you're pretty or compliments you, you just need to say thank you and walk away. And her point was that, you know, when there are people hanging out and kind of looking for, you know, a girl and right, we talked about, you know, just a common factor being, you know, vulnerability, which all of us, right? I mean, 
and for girls who doesn't want to be to be pretty and to be noticed so but but she this was just great because she was saying so rather than a guy saying has anyone told you you're so pretty or you should be a model rather than her going i am you know or you know kind of like then it's kind of like keeps the conversation going so you know i'll tell my daughter lauren you know if anyone ever says to you or tells you you're pretty you just say thank you politely and you just walk away or you know you don't even have to say anything if you're creeped out by them but you know it's just that kind of mindset that don't you know don't kind of keep that conversation going and i had a mom a friend call me last week and she said lee and sometimes when you hear about trafficking you can get a little paranoid and think everything is trafficking and there's that too you know so you have to be on guard but i was really surprised for what she about what she told me she was at a mexican food restaurant she and her daughter are having lunch her daughter goes to take her little brother to the bathroom and is waiting outside the door when this young guy approaches her asks for her phone number she said she's never been asked by any boy for a number she just kind of froze and he's putting her number into his phone, kind of in this note section. But she said, Lee, the questions that she started getting were not typical, like, you know, awkward middle school boy kind of, you know. It was very pointed questions that when I read these to Allison, I was like, I mean, it just wasn't even subtle. It was like, well, you know, do you have a lot of friends? I don't have a lot of friends. What's your birthday? What's your favorite color? Who's your favorite band? Do you want, would you go with me to a concert if I could get concert tickets? I'm going out of town. I'm going to this place next month. Would you want to go with me? It was like these very pointed, intrusive, tell me all this information about your life, but even like, what do you like? What can I buy you? What do you want? Where can I take you kind of things? And so for that mom and daughter, that mom, and they freaked the daughter out. The mom knew like, we're shutting this thing down, you know, but then she's like, I mean, listen to this, Lee. So you just have to think that there are going to be girls, though, that are like, you know, think about if you're, you're struggling, you're in a particular struggle, a season of your life, maybe of deep insecurity where you want someone to notice and care. So for someone who doesn't know, you know, and hasn't been warned, they might just kind of, you know, fall right into that trap. And so that's why there's more and more yeah. prevention being done in schools and and good things being done. But listen, we need more. We need like TikTok. I'm always telling my high school, you know, we have high school, middle schools. I'm like, okay, I know that you would be hugely embarrassed for me to do it. But can y'all, I mean, y'all need to be putting stuff out on TikTok, Instagram. I mean, we need to be better at using all of these resources because we're up against like what, I remember my son a couple weeks ago was like, mom, Cardi B, there's this new song called, what is it, WAP or whatever. He's like, you should kind of see it. And he's like, but you should, really shouldn't see the lyrics, but you kind of should. He was like, it's disgusting. And I kind of, I mean, and so it's like, it's confusing because they are in such, living in such a hyper-sexualized culture. I really want to talk about porn, Micah, but I know that's a whole nother podcast, but the porn epidemic, this is not some church lady, prudish, you know, point of view that porn is bad. Like people who are not Christians, people who are not believers, like unanimously people who see the devastation that the porn industry is reeking on this generation are like so concerned, so concerned. When a kid who isn't even looking for porn can have a friend say, hey, check out this link. And all of a sudden it pulls up, you know, all this stuff. Like maybe they haven't even had the talk with their parents and they're looking at these, you know, all this kinds of sick, perverted stuff, gang rape and, um, you know, having sex with animals and all this violent stuff. What is that doing to our kids' brains? And child-on-child violence has increased all over the world because porn is kind of like a gateway. Like the, when people don't, like with all addiction, you don't just want more of something. Addiction is about 
you know, wanting more deviant, you know? And so that's a lot of times, I don't, I'm not saying that everybody that looks at porn is going to go buy sex, but I'm saying that I don't think anyone's ever bought sex or fallen into that without it having started there because the porn just isn't enough. And a lot of times when men go to prost, you know, to buy women, they're acting out what they've seen in porn. You've got kids acting out on neighbors and sisters, what they're seeing in porn. And not only that, I mean, porn is the opposite of love. It kills intimacy and it's wrecking their sex lives. And, and when I think about having a daughter, I think it's, it's kind of terrifying to think like, I want a guy out there for my daughter who doesn't have all of these like really warped images or expectations of what sex is and what she should be doing and what, you know what I'm saying? And I just think that part of the, when you talk about human trafficking, people want to just talk about the issue of human trafficking, but it's kind of like an onion. It's kind of like, you, there are a lot of layers. It's like Medusa. Okay, I taught Greek mythology. So it's like Medusa's head, you know, you cut, you think you're going to go after one head and you know, there's like a lot. I think, you're, I think you're thinking of the Hydra. When you chop off one head, two more appear. Oh, I right. got I you though. I was right there with oh, you. Right. I was sorry, teacher. Well, Medusa had all those things <laughs> coming out of her head, but you're right. I am thinking of the Hydra cut off one more appear. You know, but if you're turning I'm, to stone, then it's Medusa, but the snakes, you know, chop off stone, one. But I'm just That's picturing Hydra. all of her little snakes coming out of her head, you know, but it's mm-hmm. just, it's, it's the idea that it's not just, you know, oh, it's just this one thing. There's so much that's connected to it. And so I think people don't want to hear about that because they go, well, wait, don't, don't start messing with my little, don't start messing with this. This is a habit or this is feeling a need, but I'm kind of like, well, do you really want to, how bad do you hate it? How bad do you hate it? Because the porn industry is fueling the sex trafficking industry. And you know what we need? We need what to, ha- okay, so smoking. I remember my grandma, she passed away, but she was like the most like clean health. Like she's the only person you could eat off her floor. And, and I just remember finding out that she like smoked her whole life because when I knew her, I, you would never see my grandma with a cigarette. And it was like, grandma, you smoked for 30 years. She's like, everybody smoked, you know, why did everybody stop smoking? Everybody stopped smoking because all of a sudden people realized what it was doing to their bodies, that it was killing us and destroying your lungs. And all of a sudden there was this just culture shift. And that's what we need to happen. They're actually like, it might be more than 15 states now, but at least 15 states who have made porn a public health crisis. We're still trying to get that done in Texas. We've tried in, in the last two legislative sessions, and I can't figure out why we can't get that done. But um, Texas needs to do better at that. But, um, but it's kind of like we need that to happen. We need it to happen to where kids, it's kind of like, hey, look at this. Like, I'm not messing with that. I want, a, I want a good marriage one day. Did you know some of those women have been, tra- you know, trafficked? Did you know that's contributing to human trafficking? Like, we need a generation that gets a little ticked off and sees it for what it is and says, I'm not going to be complicit in human trafficking in any form, you know? And I think what really makes me mad is it's the industry, though, because most guys, the men in my life, the, the men, and I know women struggle as well, but the people, you know, those that I love that have fought addiction for so long with that and getting free from it, being in bondage to it, they're like, it started when I was like nine or 11. And you know yeah. what? I just think in that moment when that, it's like the porn industry is aggressively coming after our kids because they know their brains are being developed, you know, with that kind of middle school age, that, you know, 11 to whatever that is. I'm not a scientist, 11 to 13, 15. They know their brains are being developed. So they are trying to create lifelong consumers because that's what it is. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. Doesn't it always come back to money? <laughs> it always comes back sure. to money. So 
The porn industry does not mind destroying the lives and the hearts and the future relationships and marriages. And, you know, um, and so I just, anyway, I don't mean to get off on a soapbox. I guess you can tell it's kind of a, if I can add something to um, Lita about what you're, what I'm hearing as kind of a summary is in order for human trafficking to thrive, it has to prey on the vulnerabilities, right? So it preys on the vulnerable minds of young men to train them to be buyers and consumers of broken sex. And it preys on the vulnerability of young women who are insecure about how they look, about their bodies, about even the ones who have grown up in solid Christian homes. We've all been teenagers. We've all had, we've all been vulnerable at one point. Human trafficking to thrive, it preys on all of those vulnerabilities. Like that kid who was texting your friend's daughter um, was, you know, trying to get to know her, trying to butter her up. It's like grooming 101, textbook grooming is what I called it when you told me that the first time. And it's just, um, it's pure evil. It's pure evil that this kind of industry is thriving by preying on the vulnerable in for its consumers, for its um, sellers from the whole, its whole economy is banked on hitting vulnerability. It's lies. Yeah, that's such a great summation. And years ago, I went and watched the trial of, there was a first um, federal uh, sex trafficking case in the Southwest Territory of Texas. And there was a woman named uh, Tincha, who was like a grandmother who was running this chain of cantinas in Houston. And so pimps would smuggle in girls from um, Central America, Mexico, Central America, South America, and then come and sell them in these cantinas. And so then she would get a cut of the money. And so most of the people that had been busted um, had, and there was like all this money laundering. It was a federal case. So most people admitted to it, pled out or whatever, but she had said not guilty, which is why it went to court. And so, and that was like right when I was really learning and starting and a contact of mine that was in the FBI had said, Lee, it'd be great for you to come and kind of you just learn and, and see this trial. And, um, and all of the women, and I mean, they even, and it, you know, it's interesting on the van tour, that was one of the cantinas that we stopped in front of. And you, and you know, you kind of have this moment where you're like, am I, is this real? You know, is this really happening? Is, are they sensationalizing? Is, is this real? That's kind of the skeptic in me. It's always asking, you know, questions, but it was like, yeah, it was real. Because all these years later, this place was busted wide open and they had girls upstairs that were locked away that were, um, some of them as young as 14 and they would call them mm. fresh meat and they would be sold. And so I heard some of these girls testify and it was, I can't even tell you how heartbreaking it was to hear their sobs and the deep pain. But every one of those girls um, in their hometown had been lured by a guy that they really thought loved them. So like a, they call it the lover boy syndrome or kind of a Romeo and Juliet where, you know, you're, you think you're in a relationship with someone who loves you and cares about you. And then they hand you over, you know, to this life. So that is very common, more common than like the taken movie, you know, scenario. Um, and then again, you know, there's just the all out, yeah, just lies. Like we know you're poor, so we're going to promise you a good job. Then we're going to traffic you. Um, yeah. So, anyway. what's what's unfortunate? Um, it, uh, so you're talking about the porn industry for one, uh, and I, I think that that's separate, but in the same sort of category or whatever is uh, just adult women posting pictures and doing things like that. I think that that adds to the ease of access mm-hmm. that then could lead to that seed of I want more of that thing. Um, and it could, it could bloom into something very nefarious, uh, which speaking of 
perfect segue on purpose. Um, I found the website. There's a website for Nefarious. Uh, I'll be sure to include that link in the description as well as links to the documentary so that if people want to continue to investigate that, um, they can go watch those movies. So I'll be sure to include that. I would yeah. love to know what what is the extent of impact from the Alliance so far? How many human beings have you rescued out of these dark places or helped to rescue out of these dark places and uh, would love to maybe know a success story that you've been a part of? Yeah, um, you're right. We're not the ones that are doing the direct rescues. So it would be hard to put a number around that. But I can tell you a little bit about kind of the impact and how we play into that. One of the first things that happened is we um, were we were part of a coalition that was made up of it's in Houston and it's made up of law enforcement officials and also service providers and I remember going to a woman I met who is with the FBI and she works with the victims so when they go in and do a raid they will um, you know care for the victims because a lot of times you know they're, they're going to have to be interviewed it's just you know they're coming out of a very um, obviously difficult, devastating situation. So I came to her and I said, listen, we have all these churches that have just gotten together and we want to do something. We want to help. What can we do? She said, well, you know what? When every time we go in and do a raid, we try to collect all these items like warm-ups to cover the women and flip-flops and toiletries and maybe even like, you know, gift, uh, you know, cards for food later on, like McDonald's or whatever, some gift cards, bus passes. Um, and well, not best passes yet. That was later, but, um, she said, and we just kind of go to Walmart and gather these things. But if you could, if y'all wanted to help us collect some of those items, that would be huge. And I said, we can totally do that. I remember the first time we didn't kind of have all of our network in place. And I just went to Walmart. I was like, well, make me a list. Got a couple of duffel bags, you know, put all the items in them. And she couldn't give me any details, but she just was like, if you could get them to me by such and such date, that would be great. So I knew that something was coming up in our city. I just didn't know what. I remember telling my husband, I'm going to meet the FBI at an undisclosed location. He's like, did they say that? I was like, no, <laughs> no they didn't. Okay. We met at the Cracker Barrel parking lot. That's okay. But, um, but I remember just Real, real clandestine, let me tell you. <laughs> I know. But it was like giving her those items And then her calling, there had been this big, you know, raid, all these, you know, women that came out, they'd used like everything that we had given them. And she was like, you think you could do that again? And I was like, we could totally do that again. So now we call them our go bags and we've collected over, I don't know how many thousand of these bags that law enforcement use, but it's a great way. It's a practical way for our churches to do something. So hundred, I mean, over thousands, you know, I don't even know how many, Alec probably knows the number, but we collect these items and now it's not, it's FBI, it's law enforcement. We do these for organizations in the city. So those are some cool things. Also, I told you earlier, you know, all the churches give something into the Alliance. It's really up to them what they want to give. I mean, every church size is so different. We have some mega, mega churches in the Alliance. We have some itty, you know, itty bitty churches in the Alliance and everything in between. And so, you know, and what they give is everything in between, but, but we have some money set aside. That's like a benevolence fund. So, you know, we, may get a call from the DA's office and maybe they need clothes or recently there was a girl coming in to testify against a trafficker uh, in Houston and they didn't have any money, you know, to feed her um, for the weekend. And we said, sure, we can do that. Um, During COVID, we, a lot of the safe homes were closed. So one of the uh, ministries that we do a partner with um, Rescue America, it's pretty cool because it's a hotline in Houston and now it's going beyond Houston. But a girl in the industry at any time that wants out can call 
call this hotline and someone will go and get her. And it's, it's pretty awesome. And actually the girl that started that, the woman that started that helped us start the Alliance. So as the Alliance, we were even able to give the first, you know, $15,000 of seed money to kind of help them get started. So that's kind of an example you know, of what we've been able to do, but, um, we'll definitely want to get that phone number, uh, before we close off this interview, definitely want to get that phone number as public okay. as possible, even okay. if it's only in Houston and maybe a couple yeah. other cities, but I want that as public as possible. Well, and it'd be great for you to give the Polaris national hotline because that's the number of people see something and they're like, sure. that's not right. Now that I've heard this, that, you know, and they can call anytime and give an anonymous report if they've seen something and then Polaris will contact local authorities. But, um, but during COVID, a lot of shelters had to close but Rescue America was still getting all these calls, like of these women that want to come out. One woman had, was in the hospital with a newborn baby and had to leave the hospital and had nowhere. They had nowhere. They couldn't get her into a shelter. So both of her wrists were broken, had been broken by her pimp. He had, she had also, well, so she showed up to the hospital pregnant with broken wrists. He dropped her at the ER, like fix her. And Rescue America, thankfully, the nurses were trained to call Rescue America. She gave birth to the baby at the hospital. They performed surgeries on her. And then Rescue America was able to transition her out, which is, Leah, I'll let you take it. But I want no, to it's just, It was awesome to be able to go, yes, like this is what we're here for. We can put her up an extended care or an extended stay place or whatever she needs for a week until you can find somewhere else, you know. We, you know, we even collect, collected extra funds to be able to help survivors who couldn't pay electric bills could, because they couldn't get to work. And you don't want them, you know, that's a tough place to be. We don't want them going to back to the streets because that's kind of maybe could feel like the easier route when that's what they've known and they're just trying to come out and start a new life. So all of those are just ways, you know, that people have gotten involved. And then as we've mobilized and educated, maybe you can talk in a minute about this toolkit that we created, but we do these classes throughout Houston and we do them in various churches. Anybody's welcome to come, but we do like these six week series and we bring in experts and people from various front lines and uh, partners. And it's just a great chance for people to go deeper and learn more about trafficking, but also hear about the work that's being done, you know, in our city and how they can get involved. So some of the stories out of that, if Lauren, uh, Allie, maybe tell them about, um, there was a woman who just told you how her life had been changed because she went to the class, had her eyes open, started volunteering. You want to tell that one? Yeah, it's a great um, example of when people ask me for like the two second explanation of Alliance, I say, we try to be the catalyst between the churches and the front lines trafficking. And this woman was an incredible example of that. These Classes always produce really great fruit for seeing people in our churches being pulled to the front lines. And this woman, I had a conversation with her two days ago. She attended one of the classes. She felt conviction about the issue. She asked the Lord, what can I do? How can I help? And he has just, you guys know, when you ask the Lord to intervene, he starts shaking stuff up and realigning things in your heart and in your life. And so her life was completely shaken up. She's now spending a lot of her time. She doesn't work. So she spends a chunk of her day every day of the week at um, a local um, aftercare home called um, Freedom Place. <laughs> it's called Freedom Place. And, um, and she and her church have been really activated and engaged with the work that they're doing. And they've brought incredible resources and skills and mentorship and um, new life to that um, to that ministry in a really cool way. So that's just one example of how people in the church are woken up by these classes to then be fully engaged. 
That's great. And you, you mixing up the word there sounds like me earlier. So I'm, I'm with I you. know. It's now rubbing we're in company. All, all the freedoms. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. <laughs> well, I, I want to know, um, you've mentioned it a few different times now, Lee, and we've hinted at it a few different times. One of your biggest tools is the Go Box. Uh, it's essentially an awareness kit to help people know exactly how you can get involved. So would love to know a little bit more detail about that. What is in that kit? How do you use it? Where can people purchase one? All of that. Sure. Okay. Well, let me tell you, and first, before I say this, I want to tell you that this is not like a money-making thing for us. And I know, I don't know. I just feel like in the day and age that we live in, you just kind of, there are always those people going, what are they going to try sure, to sell? But l- just to clarify. I send you a free one if anyone listening wanted one. So this isn't, okay, for, we don't make money for this. But just yeah. so we're clear, I, yeah. I wish it was a money-making thing for you because I, I, f- I am fully aware, just so we're all clear, Allison is currently showing off like Vanna <laughs> White, the Go Box. Uh, it's about the size of a Lunchable, it looks like, uh, and probably has a lot more meat to it than a Lunchable. You're welcome, uh-huh. America. Um, but uh, I, I wish it was a money-making thing. It, purely out of like a, I understand that money is fuel for organizations. Sure. And so you may not be a profit organization, but simply to have, I mean, just to have a couple extra dollars to do what you're doing and keep doing what you're doing and keep moving forward and that sort of thing. I personally don't have any qualms with that. Uh, no, but I know no. that you operate off of donations from churches and that sort of thing. But just to clear that right up, like I don't really care if people are like, no, that's great. Oh, well, they're, <laughs> they're asking for more money and they're just, it's just a money grab. Okay. Who doesn't need money to get things done? Like True, you need okay. money for gas in your car. So that's just my own personal soapbox. Yeah. Like people need to get over the, especially around the Christian community, like get over the obstacle, build a bridge of it's about money. Well, cause money is what people work with in the world. That's well, I know, and I, that's the thing you find out even, and why we wanted to support these organizations financially as well, because you're like, they can't do it. You don't want them to have to spend all their money doing time and energy doing fundraising, but you have to have funds to do these things. It's not aftercare, taking care of, you know, survivors and all the programs that like that costs money. So yes, thank you. We do, our churches do give. And so it helps support programs like the Go Box. And we do have some you know, generous donors who also, you know, people that give into what we're doing because they believe a lot in the vision. But okay, so the reason the Go Box was created because is because the number one question that we were asked when we would go and talk about trafficking is, what can I do? And I remember before early on, before Allison came and joined us, it was me. So I've, you know, been volunteered the last this been kind of volunteer position calling for me, you know, um, and then I had a woman though, and God has been so faithful to do this, just bring the people that you need at the right season. And there was a woman who had moved here from Malaysia. Our kids went to school together. She just had like this amazing skill set. She's the one that helped me come up with this whole strategy of the go box and actually create it and put this together. And I mean, there was a team of people, a lot of people poured into this project, but I remember she had come with me when she was kind of learning about the Alliance. I was, was, I had, I was actually at my mother-in-law's house. My mother-in-law was like, I'm going to have some friends over. I'm going to do a showing and I want you to come talk to us about trafficking. So I said, okay. So I brought Joanna with me and we go to this meeting. And I remember this one man, when it was all over, raised his hand and was like, so what do I do? Like, you got to tell me right now. And he was so adamant that we left that meeting going, that's it. We need some tool to help people. So that's why we created the Go Box. We created the Go Box to simply be a next step for people. 
And so what we ended up doing is we wrote a guide and this guide has nine chapters. No, this guide has eight chapters. Um, and every chapter, so chapter one is like, go learn, learn about, you know, human trafficking 101. Uh, chapter two is on prayer. Chapter, you know, three is go spread awareness. Chapter four talks about demand. And then I won't go through all of them with you, but there's a chapter on fair trade. There's, so there's all these chapters, but what we've done is in this guide, we have um, included organizations and ministries. We've plugged them in where they kind of in the category that they go. So it gives you an opportunity to learn about who's doing what as far as organizations. And then every chapter ends with the, ne the next step which is something anybody can do. So like the next step at the end of chapter one is go watch Nefarious. Well, every box actually has a Nefarious DVD in it. Now I realize that even in the, you know, last couple of years, DVDs are becoming more obsolete. So we may <laughs> need to take this thing out altogether now that you can stream it online. But, um, but, we, but the whole point of this box is that we, you can always go online. Like there's tons of information on trafficking online, but we wanted to compi compile it into something that we could just put in people's hands. And so it's the, here's your take the next step, watch this. Here's a take it further now. If you want to do you know, something that's going to take a little bit more of a stretch, sign up and go on one of these van tours you know, with Elijah Rising. And, um, and so every chapter is like that. We've just like, and then, you know, and then there's like these little icons that are, when you're reading, it might say, now take this out of your box. So like we had asked um, Menal Davis, who's the special advisor to the mayor of Houston on human trafficking. I asked her if she would write a letter to the church in Houston explaining what the city is doing about trafficking and why the church needs to be involved. So in chapter one, when we kind of talk about what the city's doing, it'll say, pull out your letter. And she's written and hand signed every single letter. We didn't ask her to do that. She just wanted to do that. Has been so gracious. And, and people can read that. So we have infographics. We have a whole book. We have a whole CD. We have a whole go bag. We have a whole art project. Uh, we have a lot, a family discussion guide. There's just a lot in here. And the idea is that we wanted to start a movement so people could get this box they could go through it. They could learn. They could go at their own pace. They could do it by themselves. They could do it with friends. And then they could pass it on. And, um, and so that, you know, and it, was, it would just be an equipping resource and an empowering resource. And we even say, like, when you open it up, you know, welcome to the Go Box movement. We kind of explain what it is and say, together, we're going to do some good. And that's the idea. And what happened is we said, well, let's pilot this box and see if it's any good and if people find it helpful by doing it in a class. And we did that kind of with, at a church with a small group of people. And it turns out that people love doing things like this in community. It's also a hard thing to do by yourself because you get really, you go through this and you, you need to talk about it because it's a lot yeah. and it's hard. So since then, we have been doing more and more classes. And it, which incomes, that's a huge part of what Micah has been helping us do is write this training manual so that churches who want to host these classes, you know, you could, you know, there could be a church in Alaska that's like, hey, we want to do that. And Allison and I are just two people and it's hard to do all of these classes, you know, on our own. So we're trying to, you know, scale that and make it possible. But yeah. we did how many classes last fall? Um, I think we did four at one time. We did six total last year. We put about a little over 400 people through the classes. Only so 400. Good. Goodness gracious. And yeah, I know, right? So, and that's the cool thing is that all those people are different, but some of the, the way that then those people are motivated, and even if they're, and some of them are, like Allison said, that one woman and many others, some start volunteering with organizations, others give, others, everybody just has their eyes open. 
And if you have your eyes open, we call it justice discipleship, because we talk a lot about God's heart for justice, why we need to care, you know, why we should care, what we can do about it. But as people start to have their eyes open, you just notice things in life that you didn't notice before. You start having conversations with people that you didn't have before. And I get your point that awareness, it's like, okay, I did a post and, you know, we need to do more, but I will say that awareness has been huge. That is what has led to bills being passed. It's what's, I mean, the things that have come out from people just being willing to open their mouth and talk about it. And then you just never know who you're influencing, you know, kind of like us having this conversation with you today. I I was about to say the story of my (laughs) podcast. I'm just like, I feel like people need to talk about this more. And so I do. And next thing I know, I'm getting private messages like, that was incredible. Thank you so much for saying that. Like, I, I thought I was the only one dealing with that. So I definitely can understand. You might have a listener who's like, that's it. I'm going to have an affair showing my house. And then you just don't know what can come. But just the ripple effect of people caring is huge. Yeah. And that goes back to what I was saying of um, people won't care if they don't know. So yeah. if you know, then it leads to caring and caring leads to action. Uh, and action leads to hopefully beneficial results, right? So it's a chain reaction. First step is talking about it. And I think that there's a lot of things in life like that where, uh, quite frankly, we need to talk about them more. Um, For Elizabeth and I, we had two miscarriages and we found out that people just straight up don't talk about miscarriages. Uh, And it's even led to the whole idea of don't tell anybody that you're pregnant until after 10 weeks. And it's like, why? So you can deal with the miscarriage by yourself? Yeah, That doesn't make sense. Yeah. I, I, we immediately, as soon as we found out we were pregnant, we told our family first, obviously, um, cause we're, we're not that crazy. And then we went and told all of our like close circle people. We didn't just necessarily blast on Facebook, but we told our close circle because we fully were aware that if something goes South, we don't want to be alone in that. We want other people to be with us. And so that was, that was just a really cool time to be able to, um, see how that works when you, when you shed light on a topic and people start to talk about it you find out first that you're not alone. Uh, and then second, that because you're not alone, you can actually accomplish more, which I think is fundamental to what the Alliance is, even in that name, right? That multiple churches said, hey, this is a problem. There are organizations already in existence that are, are fighting this, but we need to come together to then support those organizations and to help to kind of add some fuel to keep that thing going uh, because it's, you're doing some great work. Speaking of just moving the ball forward, you mentioned there's new legislation. What kind of legislation has already been passed or, or what's being developed to fight against this human trafficking epidemic? Well, I'll tell you a couple of cool things recently. I know in Houston, we have a hotel ordinance now to where hotels have to train all of their staff on the signs of human trafficking. And that's huge because that's where, you know, all these little hotels in hotels of all, you know, that's huge. If people, that are working in the hotels and the staff can start to identify it and, re- and report it and say something, that's a big deal. So that's a huge victory. Um, I know in the last session now, all schools in Texas um, are required to train their staff on human trafficking. So now you have teachers and administration and people within the schools that are going to be trained on human trafficking and know what to look for. That's huge, you know, because teachers are the ones Goodness, there's a, a dear friend and survivor in my life who, who has been through a lot. And she, her trafficking um, was happening at home. And she just 
I mean, his experience tell as a child. I'll just say it that way. And when she talks about kind of like, there were signs, right? There were signs. Um, and school was like a safe place. But now that she's older, she's just, you know, she's starting to kind of speak into those signs and she has a heart. You know, it's kind of what keeps her moving forward is that she wants to be a voice and help other little ones who are going through what she was going through. But she's like, I just wish somebody had seen. And I just feel like there were some really big signs, you know, that people just didn't get and didn't see. So that's huge. The training of, you know, so anyway, those are a couple of big things recently, you know, that have happened, but there are more and more things that are being done um, like that. There we so. go. I, I hit the space bar button. And again, uh, now technology. Anyway, um, I like the idea of the awareness thing where you're training people specific indicators to look for. Um, because I know that, and Lee, like you've been a teacher, um, when teachers get trained to notice abuse of, of kids uh, and you notice the signs, you're very aware of it, even the way that they talk, the way that they carry themselves, what are they wearing? Or is this girl, when it's 110 degrees outside, is she still wearing a hoodie? Why? Um, that kind of thing. Sometimes it is just a security thing and they're insecure or whatever, but there are times when it's because they've either cut themselves or they've been abused and they don't want to show their bruises, uh, things like that, because they don't want to get their parent in trouble or something. So being able to train hotel staff of here's what we're looking for. Here's how you can identify it. That's humongous because I know that that has helped in the school area of uh, kids who are fighting depression, who are fighting abuse and that sort of thing, where we get to partner with those kids that are being hurt uh, and say, Hey, this, this is not going to fly in my classroom. This is not going to fly in my school. Um, yeah. I think that's fantastic. Well, and I'll tell you, Micah, just an example too of the power of people becoming aware. I remember one time I was talking at this, this church um, and it was a Sunday morning, this pastor, I, I loved, I loved this, this church. And most of the people in this church, it was an older church. So mainly I would say, you know, I don't know, may, maybe a few young families, but most everybody there um, was older. And so you had these, um, I don't know, these sweet grandmas and grandpas who came up afterwards wanting to do things. But I remember this one woman, she was kind of like my host showing me where to go and sit and everything. And um, she was telling me, she said, you know, I have these neighbors on my street and their yard is just always a mess. And I just hear yelling and all this kind of stuff. And the neighbor kid, you know, there. and she kind of went on and on. And she was kind of saying, I wonder if there's, you know, something going on there. And I just remember I looked at her and I said, well, you know, I don't know. Isn't that interesting that maybe God put you right there? Do those kids know you as a safe place? Do they know you as this, you know, woman down the street that, you know, could, that they could talk to? And she said, no, they know me as the grouchy old lady down the street. I call the police on them when they're too loud, you know. And it was like, you know, just in a respectful way, I, I it was, it was kind of, it's like she just hadn't thought of it before. And it was kind of like, well, New perspective. Know, new perspective. You think maybe the Lord put you there because those kids might need somebody, you know, if there is something, you know, going on. And so that's why, you know, yeah, just new perspective that can just change a lot about the way that we see the world and, and, and people and, you know, looking beyond and looking deeper into things that are going on mm. around us. So what can we do? I mean, I, I know that's the whole premise of even the go box, but what can we do? How can listeners get involved? Um, how can we step in and what's, uh, I'd also like to add in, what is the biggest obstacle or biggest need that currently the Alliance is facing to fight 
this ending of human trafficking. So maybe that is how we can get involved. How can we affect that, that bottom line of the biggest obstacle, but just give us some practical steps. Okay. I think practical steps would be keep having, I know you've talked about this, but keep having conversations and don't assume that everybody knows because all the time people are like, I had no idea that was happening. And so keep spreading the word. Um, Know the national number and we could get that to you. We, We got those. Allison sent them to me already. Perfect. So have the national hotline number so that if you see something, you can call in. Um, You can, you know, Google things like the six stages of grooming, you know, that's practical. And these, all of these resources will come up. Know the six stages of grooming. And if you've got, you know, sons and daughters, nieces, nephews, young people in your life, have those you know, have those conversations with people in your life about, you know, not scaring them to death. I love the Bible verse that says, be innocent as a dove, but shrewd as a serpent. It's like, it's not that we're trying to all of a sudden be these, you know, crazy scared parents, because I don't think that parenting out of fear yields great results either. So I'm really trying to be a parent that lives by faith, but I want to be wise. And I want to be on the offense, right? So having those kinds of conversations with your family and with kids around you are really important. I think being willing to see um, this is very practical. Like if you are fostering, if you're supporting a family that's fostering, well, you're doing the work of anti-trafficking. So don't think that doing anti-trafficking work just looks a certain way. Like if you're in the foster care system or, I mean, you know, if you're helping or fostering, you're doing anti-trafficking work. I think that's been a big revelation for people to realize that, you know, if you're mentoring you know, young kids, if there's a young guy with no father in the home, no good male role model, and you're coming in and stepping in and showing him what it looks like to be a man of integrity and love your family and be a defender and protector of women and girls, that's huge, you know? So mentor, um, get him, give. If you want to, if you're like, I don't, you know, know what I can do, but I can give, um, Yes, you can give to us and it's going to go to different organizations, but there are tons of organizations out there. You could give to them directly, um, you know, as you kind of find out about, you know, what's going on in your, in your area. So I think those are, you know, like if you're, if the porn hub really makes you mad, there's a petition, how many signatures, there's a big effort. So the, the same ministry Exodus cry, uh, that put out Nefarious Merchant of Souls. There's a woman that works. I don't know if she works for them or with them, but she has been really instrumental in all of this. And there's a petition to shut down Pornhub and it's gotten, I mean, signatures from all over the world. So there are things like that that you can do as far as letting your voice be heard. Um, Children at Risk is an organization. They're located in Houston, but they do a lot of legislative work. So you could go to Children at Risk's website and look at, well, what's going on in Texas as far as legislation and make phone calls, you know? Um, So those are a few practical things. I hope that helps. Allison, Micah, y'all may want to add some things. You can sign up for our newsletter. We send out a monthly newsletter um, and get updates on various things that are happening. And I'll I'll get, I'll get the contact information for uh, your organization, your alliance here um, in just a minute. So we can, uh, hold on specifically, you know, stuff with the Alliance. We'll, we'll get that all condensed into one section. Uh, but okay. Mike or Allison, if you wanted to add something real quick. Um, the only thing I was going to say is that we are in the process of, and we talked about it a little bit earlier with the classes. Um, that's something that we're looking at doing virtually and we have information. So if anybody is local to the Houston area, um, those classes will be offered 
Um, we will be doing some aspect of virtual. Um, and so whenever you post all of your links underneath in the description, we'll have a link to um, Free of Church Alliance's website uh, and you can get more information there. But I think to Lee's point, there's really so many things outside of just what you think of, oh, I need to volunteer for this organization. That's a direct impact on, impact on stopping human trafficking. Um, and even I talked about it a little bit at the beginning of how I ended up getting involved because I write documentation. Um, I'm an IT consultant. And so um, I didn't even know really what path I was going down specifically other than I wanted to get involved. And I've seen, you know, needs and things that I would have never thought that I would use um, in that fight against human trafficking. So um, we talked about pro bono work and things like that. And so I think the reality is there's a lot of skills out there mm-hmm. and people don't realize how much those skills are needed, whether, I mean, even there was a point in time at uh, Elijah Rising, another organization, I was just doing construction work there, helping them, you know, repair some things. And so um, if it's something that you can take off of their plate so they can focus their efforts on the front line, then it just, it adds so much value. Um, And I think most people just don't realize that they probably do have skills that are valuable, but if nothing else, even included in the go box, um, there's a prayer list of things that you can be praying for. So um, maybe you don't have the time or the the resources to go out. Um, And that was definitely me for a while too. Um, I didn't have time to give or, Um, maybe even the energy to give sometimes, but, um, you know, you can always pray and you can always do something and there's no guilt in, well, I don't, I'm not doing anything right now. Like maybe you're not called to do it. And that's, that's okay too. Like you need to be obedient to wherever God calls you to go. And so, um, it's not something that, you know, you should feel guilted into or anything like that, but, um, just pray about it and see like, Hey, or ask God, what, what do you want me to do? And if, you know, the reality is also, even if you're not a Christian, you know, listening to this podcast, a lot of what we focus on is, is practical steps and use cases and, and physical needs as well. Um, obviously, we pair those with, you know, the gospel and, and going out and sharing God's love because he said, love the Lord above all else and love other people, you know? Um, and so, it's, it's not just one thing or the other. There's just so many different things that I think if you, if you want to get involved, regardless of wherever you're at or whatever you do or what skills you have, there's a place where you can fill a need. So, yeah, that's great. And, and I'll just say, Micah, also what, when, you know, I think I want to encourage our listeners to, to not be afraid to challenge the status quo um, right now, because it's like, man, you get on Twitter and you feel like you want to duck, you know, it's like, there's so much anger and hostility and there's so many issues. And so I do think that it's like, okay, we can't do everything, you know, but it's like, you know, right now with the whole cutie thing with Netflix, you know, there, you know, whether it's what's coming out in music, you know, with this new Cardi B song, there is a place for us deciding as a culture, like, like that's, that's harmful (laughs) to our kids. It's harmful to our culture. And we don't have to like be so afraid all the time of making waves by speaking out. And I say that as someone who I'm not an expert at the Enneagram by any, um, you know, by any means, but I think the one that I uh, 
connect with most is the nine. So I'm definitely a peacemaker by heart. Like I like peace. I don't like confrontation. That's my sister-in-law. Yeah, I'm like a diplomat that bring, I can bring, you know, bringing everybody together. But when you see the effects, when you see the harm, when you, and you see the brokenness that comes out of things like human trafficking, all of a sudden you just feel like I can't be quiet anymore about this, you know, and we need to talk about what's right. And, you know, a whole nother podcast is, is this is a whole nother podcast, but it gets into the issue of, you know, we're living in this culture that one, you know, that is becoming more and more, you know, well, there's no moral absolutes, you know, you, who's to say what's right and what's wrong. Well, wow, that creates a problem for, you know, issues like human trafficking. Like we don't, everybody gets to determine for themselves what's right and wrong. Cause then you've just told that trafficker that, well, if it makes them happy and they're living their truth, do you know what I'm saying? Like there are even a lot of philosophical things in our culture that are using. There's, there's definitely, um, in, as a, as a person who was a minor in sociology, you look at things like that and you go, okay, there's definitely like, you don't want to exaggerate, but at the same time you don't want to ignore Right. So there's a balance between, okay, having absolutely no, morals whatsoever because everybody defines their own. So then it becomes so ambiguous that there really isn't any uh, standards. The, the further end of that train is things like the movie, the purge where it's just okay for one night, there's no rules, no laws. Like you just do whatever you feel. And that, that is a dangerous route at the same time. um, It's kind of like the whole, well, don't judge me. Okay. Well, okay. There's definitely a line at which like, I shouldn't be criticizing you because you like one thing and I like another thing for much lighter example. Um, I like the Xbox and I know that Micah likes PC. That's fine. That's perfect. So, um, we don't need to like hate each other about that. Uh, but it's still, if we don't hold each other to standards, which is what people criticize, you know, don't judge me. And it's like, well, we still need to hold standards to each other. Like I don't expect everybody listening to my podcast right now to be a Christian. They may be thinking like, uh, church this and church that. But the, the, the thing that we can have common ground on is people being abused needs to stop period. You can be a Christian or not. You can be an atheist. That's fine. But can we get on the common ground that we can at least define this as wrong? So whatever your moral compass may direct you towards, can we at least understand that people being abused and, and being treated like they're less than human being that needs to stop because that was one of the things I, I was going to ask a question about, but it just is more of a point that needs to be made. If people are listening to this and you're not a Christian, please don't get bogged down in the details of this is a church organization. Please get on the same page that this is about ending something where people are being taken advantage of and they're being treated more as cattle and meat than they are as human beings. And that fundamentally is something that needs to be changed and addressed. Um, so the last thing that I, I wanted to um, ask is, is like I said, let's categorize everything, summarize, where can we connect with you online? Do you have a website? Do you have a YouTube channel? Do you have anything that we need to know in order to get in touch with you? Facebook page, social media, whatever that may be. Yes. Allison, you want to give in the details? Yeah. So we would love to hear from anybody that wants to learn more about this, that wants to get engaged, whether you're in Houston, in Texas or not. And we would love to connect with you. We 
primarily communicate through a newsletter once a month through our Facebook and uh, Instagram. We don't dabble in Twitter, <laughs> but um, we can include all of those links in the bio too, so that people can reach out to us through our website, through um, any of those yeah. means. And what are, could you at least tell us what the, the Facebook page name is or oh, the yeah, Instagram yeah, yeah. at um, name? Yeah. So Instagram and Facebook are the same. They're both at Freedom Church Alliance. And the website is freedomchurchalliance.org. We're pretty consistent in how we name ourselves and how we brand that way. Um, so if you search Freedom Church Alliance, you will find us. And Micah, we may not have time for this, but I would love to share with you guys just as a means of encouragement, maybe for someone out there listening, um, maybe an example of kind of a divine coincidence. Do you think we have time? If you tell me no, that's I okay. Uh, we can, we can definitely end on that. I know that we're butting up against, uh, some hard stops, both, both well, actually for both Micah's, I, I should say. Right. And me, but and okay. yeah, you've got to go take care of but your kid. Um, <laughs> would it be possible to, uh, even just record that separately and sure. we could put that up as a kind of a teaser for this whole episode. I think that'd be a good way to navigate that. Um, so we've got the freedom church Alliance, your website, dot org uh and at freedom church alliance nefarious merchant of souls i'm going to be including the website and the youtube um uh links for that in the description along with the polaris national hotline number the rescue america phone number uh the children at risks website and last but not least especially allison if you could get me more information about this go box information uh, and even some pictures that we could post of what that looks like all laid out because i know you were showing off like vanna white and doing a fantastic job of that but no one's going to be able to hear that um you could probably see that i'm thinking here because my child is screaming in the background uh, which is why i stay muted most of the time but anyway that's all the information that i'm going to be including in the description and make sure that our listeners have that um i'll also make sure that that's on my social media pages so that we can get that as like i said a megaphone for what you're trying to do uh, and blast it out as much as possible but that's it for this episode uh, i know we're gonna probably end up splitting this into two different episodes so that's it for the totality of what we've talked about i'm gonna have lee share with us um on a separate recording just what is a divine um incident of where god has stepped in in a way that you weren't expecting or something like that but we'll have that and uh, i appreciate all of you for being on this episode and i i really two episodes. And I do appreciate what you guys are trying to accomplish. Um, I hope that we can keep my audience engaged in what you're trying to do so that we can get as much fuel to the fire as possible and hopefully get this thing eradicated. Start with Houston and spread out from there. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening. Yes, ma'am. Hey, everybody stay calm out there and stop getting you know injured and having crazy things happen, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all take care. Bye. Uh, you too. Thanks so much. That was such a great conversation uh, about a very heavy topic. And I understand that human trafficking is something that is not, um, it's not a fun topic. Uh, but as we discussed and Lee pointed out, if we don't talk about it, then people don't know about it. And if people don't know about it, then they don't care. And if they don't care, they don't, they don't change anything. And so um, I, I encourage all of you that are listening to this, if you're like, man, that was a heavy episode, get involved at a minimum, educate yourself let let yourself just absorb what's really 
going on, the reality of the situation. And I, I think a fantastic way to start would be with that nefarious video. I'm going to be including the link so that you can get that uh, get that video and you can watch that. It looks like there's actually three documentaries that um, they put out, and it's by Exodus Cry, I believe. So I'll make sure to include those links so that you can start there, really get an understanding and a framework of what exactly is happening. And then from there, like we mentioned, the Freedom Church Alliance website is their name, freedomchurchalliance.org, or you can go to at Freedom Church Alliance for Facebook or Instagram. Um, past that, the Polaris National Hotline, if you're just listening and you wanna jot this down, is one 888 373-7888. You can pause that and rewind if you want to listen to it again. The Rescue America phone number, which I believe is in Houston and it's spreading out. I'm not sure what all cities it's in. is 713-322-8000. Last but not least, I'll be including the Children at Risk's website. I'll get some GoBox information and pictures uh, in the description along with my social media pages. So be looking for that if you really want to educate yourself and and kind of sink your teeth into what's happening all around us. But last but not least, I appreciate the three of them for being on from the Freedom Church Alliance, FCA, the Alliance, if you will. And I look forward to staying connected with them and hopefully making an impact on this very dark part of our entire society and the globe as a whole. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. Hope you all have a wonderful week. Y'all take care. That was part one of the conversation with Freedom Church Alliance. Um, I will be including everything in the description um, at the end of episode two, part two, if you will, of this conversation. I'll be including all the um, the details and information uh, verbally, but everything you'll need is in the description of both. I, I really appreciate Freedom Church Alliance uh, for joining us, uh, Lee, Allison, and Micah. I, I appreciate the things that they've overcome in their own personal lives to be able to be a part of this conversation, but look forward to next episode and a continued relationship with them, getting that awareness out there. I hope all of you have a great week and look forward to part two. Take care.